You're listening to the most fraudulent F1 podcast with Dan, aka Engine Mode 11. I secretly moonlight as Helmut Marco at race weekends. And Blake, aka Break. Echo chambers of farts and idiots on Twitter after races. It's the Engine Breaking F1 podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a, another episode of Engine Breaking with myself and Tomo. Uh, my dogs are barking in the background just as I hit record, which is perfect. And uh, we are joined by a very special guest this week. We are joined by none other than Rob Smedley. Uh, you all know him probably from uh, his days at Ferrari, but uh, he's a busy man. He's been doing lots of things recently, and uh, he's here to tell us all about that. Uh, Rob, just quickly, if people aren't you know, maybe they're new to the sport. They're not fully aware of who you are. Could you just give us like a brief intro to your road and, and the path you've taken and whatnot? I can, Dan, I certainly can. First of all, uh, thanks for having me. It's a great honor and a great pleasure to be talking to you guys today. Um, so I started in formula one, uh, back in ancient history, actually. So I started in Formula One in the mid-90s uh, when the teams were um, not much more than 50 people, in fact, or a lot of the teams. In fact, I actually started um, at your old team. Um, my first ever job in Formula One was at the Stuart Grand Prix team. Um, so I was one of the... the um, guys in the, in, the, in the first years of Stuart Grand Prix and that was in uh, is it um, I can't remember the address now but it's it's the trading estate in Milton Keynes yeah Bradbourne um, Drive Bradbourne Drive that's it Bradbourne Drive Tilbrook um, that's it Milton yeah. Keynes still remember it yeah uh, it was it just probably still one. smelt of cakes then didn't as by then didn't it because it used to be an old cake factory apparently it did it did, it did, it did. It, it smelt the cakes and uh, there was all sorts of other nefarious goings on um, in the other units, which now uh, Red Bull has taken over the lot, hasn't it, with its new campus. Um, so, yeah, I started then. Um, I was really uh, fortunate, I think, when I started Formula One because the teams were so small. So you could, you know, you got involved with everything. So, you know, whether you're good or not, um, you kind of made rapid progress, which is probably what happened to me. Um, and then, you know, I spent some time at Stuart, I spent some time at Jordan Grand Prix, which in today's money is Aston Martin. Then I went to Ferrari, I was at Ferrari for 10 years. Latterly at Williams, um, always climbing the greasy pole as it, as it were. Um, and then in 2019, I started my own engineering business. Um, I started to do some fun stuff. Uh, with that so we've got an advanced technology business we can get into all this later on an advanced technology business a sports analytics business and something that that um, is addressing um, the grassroots of the sport as well to try to get more kids involved in the sport and education and just generally um, trying to evangelize about our brilliant sport so yeah very busy um, too busy in fact but there you go yeah, it sounds like you've um, you've. I mean, you've expanded outside of obviously the Formula One kind of niche. Was it quite? I mean, obviously you've both worked in the sport and you've both kind of walked away from the sport to do other things. Was it? Do you both have quite similar stories as to like why you both stepped away um, primarily? I mean, 
I don't, obviously, Dan, you, you won your world title, Dan. So you were like, I'm out. Um, yeah, but there's a vast difference between what me and Rob are doing now. I'm sitting in a spare <laughs> storeroom recording a podcast, right? And Rob's got an engineering business. So, let you know, there's some similarities, but not much. I'm picking you up, Dan. Come on. Hype yourself, man. Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on, Dan. Come on. Big yourself up. Um, so, yeah, why did I... I mean, as I said, I, w- I was pretty pretty lucky uh, in uh, I got into the sport. I was, I was right place, right time. And I guess, you know, my generation of engineers and scientists and mathematicians and physicists and stuff, um, you know, we brought a lot of first principle and scientific thinking, you know, back in that early mid nineties phase and the teams were small enough that you could progress. So I ended up being in quite senior positions from fairly early on. Um, and I got to a certain point in my life where I had, there was a lot of things that I absolutely love about formula one and continue to love and even miss, um, the adrenaline of the, the Saturday afternoon, the adrenaline of the Sunday afternoon, the competition, um, the teamwork with colleagues, that type of stuff. But then there's a lot of stuff which I just thought, well, you know, I can take this or leave it. Um, you know, hopping on or off a plane, um, almost, you know, 30 times a year or whatever is not my idea of fun. Um, even though I probably do more, more of that now, actually, uh, <laughs> There you go. Um, so, but, and I just thought to myself, I would like to do something different. I've been very lucky. I've been very fortunate. I would like to now try something different. And that's why I kind of stepped out of it at um, the start of 2019, um, which is still quite recent. Um, you know, I've been fortunate in, in the, you know, I'd gone through lots of different projects, you know, got lots of medals and world championship cups and, and pots and pans and all the rest of it. If that type of thing is important to you, um, you know, ticked all of those boxes. Uh, the Ferrari was, you know, was, was a great period. Williams was an interesting period because it was something, you know, Ferrari, we, we went through a period of domination. It was seven world championships in 10 years. Um, Williams was a different project. It was, you know, trying to uh, fix something that, you know, wasn't at the level of Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull. Um, And we had some early success there, Uh, you know, so, but then you kind of done the full cycle at that point. So you either continue to do it um, and end up as, you know, um, possibly a team principal somewhere or something like that. Um, or you think, right, I want to do something different now. So I, I took the path of doing something different. I was also at the age where, you know, my kids were, were starting big school and all of that type of um, good stuff. Um, I'd missed just about every single wedding, funeral, bar mitzvah that you could think of over the last 20 years um, and decided that, you know, now was the time to to start um, giving something back to my family as well who'd supported me for a long, long time. Um, you know, like you will know, Dan, uh, long-suffering partners, that's what we have in Formula One, uh, very supportive partners. And certainly I couldn't have, you know, done all of the, had the career 20-odd years in Formula One at the coal face in Formula One, let's say, uh, without a really supportive wife. So there you go. It was time to give something back to her as well. Yeah, I think mine's probably more upset that I'm home more often now, to be honest with you, mate. But, <laughs> but yeah, that's the same story everyone says. Everyone I've spoken to that's left, it's long-suffering partners and kids. So I completely get it, mate. And it's exactly 
like I say, the reason I left as well, mate. So cool. Is 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 there much that you two think the sport could do to? I mean, look, inherently you're you're away. Like you're going to be away for up to twenty four weekends a year. But like, obviously, with rotating staff, I know that's a thing more so now. But is that just? <laughs> Maybe that is just something that, unfortunately, you kind of just have to accept as as part of. You know, it's a job with fantastic, you know, privilege and and some really amazing parts to it. But you just kind of have to accept that, I guess. Right? Do you think there's much more that the sport could do? Well, I mean, you, you're caught, you know, between uh, parts of the equation just just don't add up, do they? And the teams, um, and I'm now advocating for the teams, if you like, because you're in the middle of a cost cap. Uh, which is a really good thing for for the teams, but then we're adding more races in, um, which you know more races means the only way you can cope with that without you know absolutely ruining people is is, is more people. Um, you do get to the point where you know, and we were this was something that I was actively involved in right at the very end in Williams because I was trying to work out how we could do this. Um, you get to the point where, you know, we've already crossed over to mechanics in Formula One um, are pretty much, you know, they, they'll, they'll do, you might see them in the factory in January. You might see them in the factory a little bit in December. And apart from that, they're, they're, they're on the road. That's it. They don't actually come to. So, so they are, you know, they, 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 if you like, their work-life balance is, is is reasonable because of the fact that they spend a lot of time at home during the week. Um, I think the you know the 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 guys who suffer are the guys who critically have to do every single event. So if you take the drivers for example, and the drivers have been very vocal about this, the drivers have to do every single event. You can't sub a different driver in um, for fifty percent of the season. So they're away. They're doing um, all of the all of the work. It's it's a physical job for them, um, you know, physically um, in terms of the jet lag and in terms of it's really physical. You know, when when they're having to drive the car, the other people are the engineers and and, and the technicians um, because a lot of them will do every single event. Um, you know, there's certain roles like the race engineer, for example. Um, so the race engineer and the performance engineer, they have a one-to-one relationship directly with the, uh, with, with the driver. Um, and therefore they're kind of destined to do every single event. So, you know, how does that work? How much time, you know, what's the balance? Because usually as engineers, we're always desperate to get back to the factory and find a new, another few milliseconds or find out what went wrong or what's going to go right at the next one or the rest of it. Um, so it's, it's, it's quite hard work for, for the engineers. I can say that from, from personal experience, but then, as you said tomorrow, you know, there's, there's, there's a huge amount of upsides. Um, it's not an easy one, you know, to answer the original question. It's not an easy one to, to, to manage or to balance. It's, it's, it's pretty difficult in fact. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely have the moments where there are times where I think I don't miss it at all. And then. I don't know, I'll watch it on telly or something and I'll be like, I'd give anything to be in that garage again. To be getting deafened and have carbon dust blown in my face and all things like that. It's just like, oh yeah, I do miss that sometimes. Yeah, definitely. The, uh, yeah, I, think, I think the... I was just going to say... The atmosphere... It, go on, Tom. 
I was just saying, um, at Silverstone last year, I, I, I was able to, you know, as a, as a fan who's always watched on telly and I was able to go to Silverstone and I was in the Red Bull garage actually for um, Q3 and just there was the atmosphere, was there was just something about it um, that was just, I don't know, it was really captivating and maybe it's just because of, a, but I can, I can imagine, you know, everyone was so switched on. I was so impressed, like the level of, oh, the level of fire alarm. <laughs> fire alarm going off, hang on. Well, go make sure you're safe, Rob, first of oh, all. Brilliant. That, could, that couldn't happen to any other podcast but ours. <laughs> so while Rob goes and makes sure that his workshop isn't burning down, it seems like the perfect time to talk to you about our longtime sponsors of the show, NordVPN, and they are running a New Year's deal at the moment where you can save 64% and get an extra four free months on their two-year plan. And they're also offering... 40% off of their one-year plan. And with all of that, they're offering a 30-day money-back guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Check them out at nordvpn.com slash engine. So we're back. Yeah, yeah. No smoke, no flames. We're all right. Well, there's no smoke without fire, and there's no smoke. All so. safe. You've got all your hair still. That's the main yeah. thing. Oh, hair on fire <laughs> you asked me before how many fire alarms went off uh, in you know was it a regular occurrence I would say it was it was a minute by minute occurrence in Formula 1 there's always a fire alarm it's just a a, a, a metaphorical fire alarm and, and fire to put out somebody's always got their hair or their pants on fire um, it's pretty much the same here actually so yeah yeah, there's always a fire. Yeah, I, I said to Tomo that uh, there is a significantly more fire-related incidents when uh, we had Renault engines than we did Honda. And uh, oh, <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah, and that's all I'll <laughs> say on that because uh, Cyril Abitable might come and hunt me down. <laughs> yeah. As a shindig, I know. He's moved on. Uh, Rob, I, I did actually, as we're talking about kind of facilities, I did want to ask you quite a specific question. Um, we've heard a lot kind of this last year from James Valves at Williams about uh, their infrastructure and how, you know, the CapEx has been increased to try and catch up. Having worked at a team like Ferrari and even, you know, when you were at Stuart Jordan um, and a team like Williams, how far behind... Or how how far have Williams got to go to kind of catch up with the the top teams in term in terms of kind of infrastructure? Like how just how far behind are they? Because it's hard well, for us as fans to really understand that. It's it's yeah. I mean, James is James is absolutely right. They're 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 massively behind. You know, that was um, our you know when when there was a group of us who went there at the start of 2014. So myself, Pat Simmons, um, and our evaluation immediately, you know, Pat had come from, you know, in the recent past, Renault, which was a world championship winning team uh, in, you know, at that point in the not too distant past. I'd come from Ferrari that was, that just come out of a world championship winning period. Um, and, and we, you know, at Ferrari, we, we accepted that there were certain areas um, in terms of infrastructure and capability that we weren't, um, as far ahead as some of the other teams, there was others where we were we thought we were further ahead, of course, um, which is always the the premise of a top team. Um, but 
the stark contrast of Williams at that point compared to Ferrari, uh, you know, I, I, I had exactly the same, uh, you know, the, 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 the evaluation, the appraisal of the situation was there was certain, um, let's call it, you know, infrastructure or there were certain elements of capability that were 20 years behind, literally 20 years behind. Um, so, so, so what does that mean in real term? Because, you know, we talk about that and you say, well, what, what does that actually mean? Yeah. So, you know, in, in, in Formula One, uh, the only thing that matters, um, or, or certainly the KPI with, with the heaviest weighting above anything else is, is your relative lap time, right? Um, because if your lap time is faster than everybody else is on the grid, then everything is good. Um, so how do you create lap time? You create lap time from car performance and uh, relative car performance, and you create relative car performance from capability. So it's how fast can you build capability, um, be that wind tunnel, uh, CFD methodologies, um, design methodologies, manufacturing methodologies, you know, and capability, all of these things count, right? IT, systems, infrastructure, all of that counts, all of them, you know, there's no one single magic bullet, uh, silver bullet that, that is going to help you to be dominant like Red Bull are today or Mercedes were before that uh, or Ferrari was, you know, when, when I was there. There's, there's no one thing. It's just a case of building you know, relatively better capability in, in lots of areas. And if you're behind, so if your wind tunnel is slightly less efficient or your your aerodynamic design uh, capabilities are slightly, you know, they correlate slightly worse than, than another team because of the capabilities, because of the infrastructure that you have um, in that area, you're going to be behind, right? If your tyre modelling um, or your simulator uh, you know, Alpine were in the media quite recently talking about their, their new simulator facility, which is a capability upgrade, right? It's one thing. It won't change everything for them, but it will make a big difference. How does it make a difference? Let's concentrate on that example. It makes a difference because when they think about, you know, when they come up with a direction of travel for the car performance, they can go and test that on a simulator. If your simulator correlates slightly worse than you know, McLaren simulator or Ferrari simulator, then you're going to get a slightly less correlated answer. You're going to get a slightly worse answer, which can lead you off down a garden path. Um, you know, it can lead you off down the wrong path. Um, you know, one of the, and, and there was just all of these points that, you know, where Williams needed to have made, you know, put, have made, should have made, let's say, in the in the preceding decade, a huge capital expenditure or capital investment into into all of these areas. Um, you know, it's not an operating expenditure; it's capital. You're building new wind tunnels. You're 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 buying and deploying new computational fluid dynamic clusters. You're doing all of these things that that, that raise the bar of of what you're able to achieve. Without that, then then you're ten years, fifteen years, twenty years behind, and to catch that up. Uh, is very very difficult. It's hugely difficult. You've almost got to start with a with a with a clean sweep. You know, I mean, you know, it, it goes back to again. Let's talk about what what is a real term example. A team like Williams, when I was there, 
we had to lock in the chassis design so early in the year compared to a top team. And that was because of the manufacturing capability, uh, because of the speed of manufacture. So, for example, to manufacture the chassis took, you know, X percent longer than Ferrari. Um, and what that meant was that you then had to lock in your fundamental design for the next year's car much earlier in the year than, say, a Ferrari or a Mercedes or a Red Bull. What that meant was that Ferrari, Mercedes, Red Bull had another, let's call it four weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. It doesn't really matter. But, you know, a significant amount of chunk more time where they could continue to develop their fundamental car before they had to lock in the design and then start the manufacture. So all of these things, you know, not, none of them, there's no one single silver bullet, but all of these things a team like Williams now has to contend with because, you know, they're behind the curve in, in so many places. You know, I, I, I read... James, uh, you know, go back to James Vowles. He was talking, saying the other day that he was very buoyed by the fact that they were seventh uh, in the World Championship this year. And as you start to deploy all of these new capability upgrades, let's say, uh, in your design and development, then, you know, that's going to bode pretty well for them for the future, assuming that they can get it across the line and they can get it right. It's still a massive, you know, uphill struggle for them. But Hopefully that's that's given you a bit of insight into you know what we talk about when we talk about Absolutely. capability and, and and capex and and all of that good stuff. Well, I think 2019 really highlighted that, didn't it? The car was not only kind of the slowest car on the grid, but also it was late. It was like a day and a half late to testing, and I guess that it wasn't just that they de- they developed a rocket ship and they were just a bit late with it. They kind of dropped dropped it on both. Um, both sides in terms of getting the car I mean we don't often I can't remember the last time before that we'd seen a car kind of not make not make day one of testing um, mm. I guess that's where it came to a head right yeah certainly did anyway that, that's, that's seventh history. now five years later pretty good so we'll, we'll yeah. take that Williams fans <laughs> good yes of course come on Williams great morale boost in there Tomo thank you you're welcome I just love Alex Albon. Sorry, he's, he's my favourite. So I've got a rep. I've got to prop him. <laughs> so let's have a little chat about. We talked about the past. Let's have a chat about uh, your new venture, this global karting league. And uh, we've just come talking about money and everything in F1. And uh, money's quite a significant part of karting as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we start from the premise that given how expensive, and there's no question about this, right? It's not as if this is a, there's a debate that, that grassroots motorsport is expensive or not. Grassroots motorsport is expensive, right? And if you don't accept that as a premise, you really do have your head in the clouds, right? You're not of this planet. Grassroots motorsport and any motorsport is horrendously expensive, So what that does is it sets up a barrier, which just means that there's only a certain proportion of the world can actually participate in competitive grassroots motorsport, and especially the pathway that will get them to Formula One uh, or professional motorsport team. Um, So our premise is this. Given that, uh, we think that it's more than likely that the fastest racing driver ever has never actually sat in a racing car. Yeah, it's like if you took a tiny demographic of the world 
and you allowed them to play football. So you took a tiny percentage of the world and you allowed them to play football, right? And that percentage, that tiny demographic just happened to be from ultra high net worth backgrounds, right? So where's Messi come from? Where's Neymar come from? Where's Maradona come from? Where's Paul Gascoigne come from? Where's David Beckham come from? All of these kids from normal backgrounds who just happen to be the world's greatest footballers, they don't get to play, right? So our premise is very simply based on that. So we looked at, well, what do we do to make this more accessible? So how do we remove the complexity? How do we remove the cost? And there's lots of different things that we've done over the last um, however many years it is, but with we 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 basically introduced Global Karting League. And Global Karting League is something that we are already actively running successfully in the UK. So they're electric carts. They run within an operating model. And even though there's still uh, a cost to go and doing this, relatively, um, depending on the level of karting that you're looking at, we've taken... Um, you know, around 80, 90% of the cost out of it, which is a significant chunk, right? And this is a first off. Now what we want to do is, now that we've proved the model in the UK and are continuing to, to have growth in the UK, um, and we're investing in that further for, for the 2024, so this season, so we'll have new carts and bigger grids and all the rest of that good stuff. Um, now what we want to do is we're going to roll that out globally. Um, so we're in the middle of that. So we want to get this in two uh, more places internationally. Um, so we're going to drop leagues, if you like, in two places around the world during 24 as a minimum. Uh, and then we want to build on that. You know, the ambition is that we want to get to 50 global sites um, around the world um, within the next five years. We want to have, um, you know, we want to have reach, uh, have reached a million kids across that period um, who are participating in grassroots sport. Um, and we want to find talent. We not only want to get a million kids involved in the sport, the organic output of that, because we've um, basically thousand X'd you know, we've we've got a thousand times more, more more kids taking part in the sport. The the there's two outputs. One is is a thousand kids enjoying the sport, getting involved in the sport, building a community, um, being educated, and the 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 other output is that there will be within that within that you know million um, kids that, that that we have reached and, and and participate, we'll find some real talent. Of course you will. It's a numbers game. It's it's mm. it's mathematically, um, you know, statistically probable that that we will find um, talent there. And already in the UK, you know, we're finding talent from let's call it atypical backgrounds. You know, so they're not from the high net worth families. They're from you know the 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 lower socioeconomic bands, um, but they can pedal, they can drive, you know, and these kids deserve a chance. These kids should be allowed to participate. These kids should be allowed to show their wares um, and, you know, see if there is a pathway for them um, beyond Global Karting League to, to, to get into um, the higher echelons, you know, into, into cars and, and, and beyond. So look, this is, it's, it's something that I'm super passionate about. You know, we've got, um, three separate businesses here. It's something that I do dedicate 
um, most of my time to because I want to see it succeed because I think that, you know, with the backing of the governing bodies, so here in the UK, the ASN, Motorsport UK, who've been, you know, always very supportive of what we're doing, um, the global um, governing body, the FIA, um, who are, you know, equally supportive and interested in, in what we're doing, especially rolling this out globally um, to find talent. Um, I think, you know, altogether, we can actually make a difference here. And I'm passionate about making a difference. You know, I know what it looks like at mm. the very top of the sport. Uh, and, you know, given that I've worked up here for, you know, 25 years now or whatever, um, it's also... You know, I've made a, a lot of um, friends and created a, a big network of people that, that can help. So, you know, it's it's t together um, we will be able, able to make a difference. Um, you know, if everybody gets behind this, we'll be able to make a difference. But up, up to now, you know, I'm really enjoying it. It's great. And it's great seeing kids from, as I said, from, from non-standard backgrounds, if you like, coming through and enjoying it. Yeah, I, I, I love that. I think that that's the subject that I've increasingly kind of, as I've engrossed myself in this industry, become more and more like, you know, uh, the story of like Esteban Ocon um, is a is a is an example is a very admirable example where you know he's uh, his dad had a, a mechanics and they lived above it and they sold the shop to literally just they went all in on Ocon's on their dream and they just lived in a little motorhome and drove around Europe going to karting races but it's like if Esteban hadn't made it they would have sacrificed everything and they would have lost their like I I struggle recommend like when you know love this sport right but young kids who want to get involved I struggle recommending being like you should try and be a racing driver because you have to spend so much money and if you're, you know, if, if you want to be a professional footballer, right, and, and you invest everything, all your time into it, and it doesn't work out, you've not spent a ton of all right, money, you know, having parents taking you around the country to football matches. Outside of that, you've not spent a lot of money. I mean, top tier karting, I'm hearing numbers of, you know, a quarter of a million a year at the very, very top, top, which is just it's ridiculous. Even if you've got a millionaire parent, that's still not enough. Um, so that's why I think is, yeah, I, I, I love the sound of it. I want to understand Rob, I guess more spe the specifics around what are the really expensive parts of traditional karting that you're doing differently? Like how exactly are you reducing these costs? Is it the chassis? Is it the tires? Is it, like, what are the main things I guess you're addressing with the global karting league? Yeah, I mean, well, well, the, the, there's two elements to it, to be to be honest. So, so we we drive. So we've we've uh, the engineering company here has designed and developed um, our own powertrain. So we modify a chassis. So we take a chassis from our chassis partner, which is Birrell in Italy. So it's a proper racing cart. It's a proper racing chassis, um, and then we modify that um, to basically. To, uh, for for as an installation for our electric powertrain, and then the electric powertrain um, is gives you all the same driving feeling, if you like, of the um, petrol carts. Um, we've worked very very hard, as you can imagine, as a bunch of ex Formula One engineers, you know, here in in, in this business, we worked very very hard to get the the, the mass down, uh, get the power up, the torque up, all the rest of it. So so you 
you know worked really hard on the performance um but one of the things that we've worked doubly hard on is parity um because one of the problems in karting which is why it gets so expensive is that in traditional in the traditional route of karting is 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 power parity so you know somebody can go and buy an engine which is just slightly better um, and that slightly better engine, you know, um, 0.2, 0.3 horsepower or whatever, it's going to make a massive difference in terms of lap time. And that's the problem with traditional kind as well, is that it's 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 not always easy to see, um, you know, who the best kids are. Because if you're spending a lot, if you've got a huge engine bill, um, then you're probably going to have the best engines. And you hear this all the time when you wander around, you know, not that I make a habit of wandering around, Karting paddocks, but you know when 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 I do kind of hang out at some of these venues, you hear it all the time. You know the parents will talk to me and say, "Oh well, you know we would be doing great, but we just can't afford the engine." So the engines are, uh, you know, this whole thing of of lack of parity that that causes uh, you know increases the costs a lot. Then there's the, the 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 operational model, if you like. So going to a three day event with you know numbers of tires and you know, being part of a team and, and and all the rest of it, it all adds up, right? There's there's no single element that it all adds up. So we've just looked. It's like when we talked about Formula One um, technical capability before, you know, or technical you know dominance. There's no single thing. It's just taking you know, it's just taking cost out of all of these elements and then having control over it as well. So it's an arrive and drive system, which actually we find. Um, you know, the feedback that we get from the parents is, is great because it takes all the complexity out. So what you do is, you know, you bring your, your kid, you have to have, you know, your helmet and your overalls and that type of stuff. And then everything else is taken care of by Global Karting League. So the whole event runs um, without intervention from parents or without particular knowledge or, you know, every, everything is kind of laid on. But what that does, you know... <clears throat> From a, as a perception, it means that you know it's there's no complexity to it. What it really does is it gives us ultimately ultimate control over how the events run and therefore what the costs are, and that's really really important because if you just you know if we kind of built these super duper electric carts and give them to people, they'd still find ways of spending money. Whereas if we control the perimeter of how you spend money, um, we then are able to get the costs down to where we've got them down now. So. You know, there's there's lots of different elements to it, but it's 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 pretty cool. We're enjoying it. It sounds really interesting, really interesting. What do you what, what are you thinking, Dan? You going to get your little one in a global cart in league? He's two at the minute, right? And he has got absolutely no hand eye coordination. I think he's probably going to be more like Project Verstappen. Start the early. He's going to be more like his dad and think just doing something in the background. I think he's more suited to that blessing, but we'll see. And then my daughters are more interested in horses. If you can do a global karting league around horses to bring the cost down for that, Rob, I'm all in. <laughs> global horsing league. Horsepower. Yeah. yeah. Horsepower. The, the engine parity is very important because every time we go karting, I always say I've got the Duff engine because I'm always at the back. Oh, mate. It's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm it's on the, the wrong side excuse. of 100 kilos. It's got nothing to do with that, right? It's all because I always get the Duff cart. <laughs> oh, honestly, that is always the case. Um, I, Rob, I, I, I'm, you know what? I, I, 
I'd read a little bit about it beforehand, but I think this is exactly what I think this in combination with, I think how sim racing is becoming a bigger part of, um, you know, obviously the simulators, like you said, um, that like you said previously, um, Alpine, how that makes a difference to, to a top team, but also simulator rigs you can have at home um, as a kid. You can use that to, uh, I mean, Max and, and Lando do a lot of racing and there's no doubt in my mind that part of the reason Max is so good on restarts is because of how much practice he gets in uh, racing. And I think a combination of making, obviously the real racing, uh, that has to be, you know, front and centre, but the combination of, of, of a more cost-efficient way of going racing um, both in real life and at home in your rig. I think it sounds good, mate. It sounds real. I mean, what are we talking, what kind of reduction in cost are we talking percentage-wise just relative to, I guess, the pre-existing model? Um, Is it potentially like half the cost, a third? Well, it it depends where you are, right? Because if you you say you know, entry-level karting of cadet or junior racing, um, by the time you've bought the equipment and towed it around the company and done it to country and, and, and done all the the events, uh, even if you do it on a shoestring, you're still looking at um, 20 grand, I would have thought, um, to, to do it through the traditional route. You very quickly get up to spending um, fifty grand. You know, if you're going to actually take part in championships and run round, you're very quickly up to fifty grand. If you're going to do national championships, um, you know, we're talking more like a hundred grand. And then you alluded to the fact that at the very top, you know, the European and World Championships are are, are two hundred and fifty grand. So you know, it depends where where you um, where, where where you pitch that. But you can do a season of uh, racing with with Global Karting League, um, depending on how much, you know, how many of the practice days you do and all the rest of it. But, you know, you, you can you can start off um, at around about £3,000. Um, and if you really hammered it, you'd be up to about £5,000. So, you know, the, 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 the discrepancy between the people who can just about afford to to do the minimum amount and and the, you know those that can the families that can afford to to be out all the time is is nowhere near the size of what it is you know through through the traditional route um so we you know we always talk about we've taken 96% out and that's because we 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 pitch it at what would be a national level of of karting yeah. if you like um so 100 grand so we say you know 100 grand to do national level through the traditional route for us it's more like five so you know it's 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 95 percent or whatever um but i guess that the other nice thing is is for you know there's there's a huge market in the leisure karting industry you know so um all the companies around the uk that you know have some competitive element with their leisure kite and there's lots of you know single circuits and there's companies that have you know there's businesses that have you know, four, five, six, 10, 20 sites around the UK that you can go to. Um, what happens is is that the kids who go and do that, they all want to go and do something, you know, they want to try the, the, the competitive, the outdoor stuff. Um, the single biggest problem for the parents is that there's a, we go back to it, that word capex, there's a load of capital investment that the, the parents are, you've got to buy all the equipment, you've got to buy something to tow it around the, you know, from, from home to the factory, mum or dad's got to learn how to to spanner the thing you know there's a lot of complexities to it 
um, the beauty of what we do is is it's a ride and drive, right? So it's almost like the the leisure karting model, but for outdoor karting, outdoor competitive carts that that are doing you know sixty mile an hour. So you turn up, you pay your weekend fee. If uh, you know son or daughter doesn't like it, that's it. You you you've you haven't lost yeah. the the ten grand that you would have cost lost if you'd have had to kind of had all this initial capital outlay. So there's lots of benefits to doing it. Most of, you know, the customer retention that we have is, 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 is crazy because, because most of the kids love it, right? They come and try it. They're like, Oh my God, these carts are like rocket ships. I'm racing kids on outdoor circuits. It's brilliant. I'm loving it. And they will come back. Hence why we're having to build more carts this year to, um, to accommodate them all. And one of the things, uh, we, you know, people speak a lot about is, the female representation in karting and things like that. Have you seen like an increase in female representation at this sort of karting level? Have you, is there more girls getting interested in the sport? Certainly what we've, it's, it's, it's a great point. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I'm super passionate about, you know, the whole thing, the whole premise of global karting league, um, because of what it's about should you know, the organic output, but, you know, it's a designed organic output, if you like, is to increase diversity um, within the driving community or within the grassroots community. Um, and, you know, one of the <clears throat> areas where we have a, you know, a, a significant lack of, of diversity is, is um, you know, gender basically so so between males and males and females statistics show that uh you know at the very top of the percentage there's about in, in karting there's about 12 percent females something like that it's usually a little bit less than that you know down at eight nine percent um from and, and we've gathered you know all of the data and done all the statistics ourselves so i'm pretty confident of of, of those numbers um what we're seeing is because we're creating a slightly more modern and safe space, then we're attracting more females, especially at the, you know, the ages from, from 12 upwards. So what was really nice last year, and I want to keep pushing this harder and harder and harder, but, you know, at times we had, um, you know, 30, 35% female representation, which is not at the 50, 50 that we want to get it to, um, but it's it's definitely making good inroads, you know, and it's and and again, I think that's because it's something fresh, it's something modern, you know. The carts are electric. It's not like oh well, this is the traditional stuff. It's the premise of the boys. It's dad and lad, you know. You you, you talk to anyone and and they'll say, oh, you know, what do you do? Do you do uh, you know with traditional? You go down the teams route, or it's dad and lad. Well, why does it have to be dad and lad? Why can't it be mum and girl, right? It's it's 2024 for goodness sake, right? Let's be slightly more open-minded about where the world is, um, and and I think that you know we want to push definitely that area and that lack of diversity. We're working with other businesses as well. Um, you know, we work directly with More Than Equal. We we made that announcement. We are their data partner. You know, it was a great initiative, which is again one of these great initiatives like F1 Academy, like all of those initiatives that are, are trying to get females involved in motorsport, we're right behind it. You know, we are firmly of the belief <clears throat> or we're firmly of the, yeah, of the belief that um, the hypothesis, we believe in the hypothesis that 
you know, females should be as competitive as males and there's no reason why there can't be a female Formula One World Championship. So let's, you know, that might be wrong, but let's try and prove it. At the minute, nobody's, you know, up to now, nobody's actually had a go at, at, at disproving that. So, you know, working with DC and, and all the guys, at, at, you know, David Coulthard and all the guys are more than equal. Um, same with F1 Academy, you know, all of these initiatives Global Karting League, we should be all trying to get more females in motorsport. Once we get to that 50-50 balance or somewhere near 50-50 balance up at the top end, then we'll see. So really looking forward to the journey. Yeah, I mean, even like you say, it's not 50-50, but 30-35, that's massive considering where it used to be. Yeah. Like you'd see one girl over a whole weekend or whatever and it would be like, oh my God, there's a girl here sort of thing. But yeah, 30-35, <laughs> that's... That's, that is a market improvement. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and, and, and we're not, you know, we, we don't want to rest on that. We want it to be 30, 35 consistently, and then we want to get it to 40, and eventually we want to get it to 50. Mm. You know, it's it's pretty clear what, what our, our objectives are. But, it, you know, that's not the only, uh, you know, underrepresented community that, that we want, you know, in, in, in the sport as well. You know, there's lots of great initiatives across motorsport that have popped up over the last five, ten years or whatever. Um, we're completely agnostic in that, you know, there's no positive bias to us in, for any community or another. It's just, this is open to everybody. Let's just come and get involved. This is not the premise. This shouldn't be the premise of just the privileged few. This should be, you know, motorsport should be open and accessible Um the real competitive grassroots bit should be open and accessible to everybody and that's you know that's what we're trying to do here yeah because I, I think again giving giving kids opportunity to showcase their ability will hopefully enable teams to then spot them and then be able to bring them through the system right because it's the the socioeconomic um <sighs> the socioeconomic kind of barrier that exists, even just kind of in the UK, but then you roll that out to the rest of the world where there's plenty of regions in the world that have rarely see drivers representing that nation because that, you know, whether that's a lack of tracks, whether it's the, it's the higher cost or whatever. Um, and hopefully, yeah, I mean, long-term, if you can roll this out worldwide and make it at least, you know, carting uh, and, and, Entry-level racing is never going to be as accessible as football because you just pick up a ball and, and do kick-ups in your back garden. And there's always going to be a degree of finance. It's always going to be more expensive yeah. than a lot of other sports. But the way it seems right now is just completely unsustainable. It's very pay-to-win, like you say, with with engines. Like If you can just bring that system in and, and, and control it and homologate it all a bit more, you know, I know MBS was quoted recently saying about how he wants to, you know, through the FIA, help bring cut an expense down a bit and yeah i think it's uh i want to be able to i want to be able to say to you like you should try and you should you should go for it because you're not going to potentially put your family into financial ruin by going for it and because you know i mean like just kick a ball around if, if, if there's that that risk but i want to be able to encourage kids and I, like i'd have if something like this existed when i was a kid i'd been all over it rob so good luck with it man thank you thanks guys and as well i i Understand that Id Idris Elba is also working alongside, or has with his total uh, was it his Speed Academy? Is that got DJ, into this? DJ Big Driss. Uh, so Idris and I uh, kind of so so Idris is 
you know, as well as being a really solid guy, uh, he is somebody who, like me, you know, uh, wants some way to to give back. Um, and you twin that with the fact that he's also like a petrol head, right? Um, he loves motor racing. Um, so we kind of got together, um, got our heads together and said, well, what do we do? And he said, well, why, why, you know, I'd really like to have like this, this speed academy. And why don't we have a bunch of kids? Why don't we go out to the, so what you're doing, Rob is great, but exactly as Thomas just said, we can only get the price point down to a certain point. You know, we talked about it. It's, it's relatively, it's, it's 95% cheaper. It's, it's three, four grand a season. It's still three, four grand, right? Which a lot of, season, which a lot of, families don't have so you can never democratize motorsport as far as you can with football exactly like you just said Tom or a ball sport you know something that you go to your local sports shop and buy a 25 quid pair of trainers and run around the park throwing a ball or kicking a ball something like that right so there's always going to be a, a certain barrier to this so so what we said was well why don't we start looking at the kids that can't afford that right so what we did was we did a, um, a, a, an event at the Formula E race in London where we um, basically, Idris did a tweet. Um, it was dead simple. We put it together in about six weeks. It wasn't quite simple. We had then our respective teams of people with their hair on fire um, probably saying, I hate these two people. Um, <laughs> why do they always give us these impossible <laughs> tasks? Anyway, um, we Idris does a tweet um, says who wants to be the next Formula 1 driver come down and uh, to the XL for the Formula E race get involved we were basically because it's Idris and he's got I don't know like 950,000 million followers on Twitter or whatever um, basically all these kids then apply um, and we were actually um, focusing on we wanted to for the first inaugural Speed Academy focus on kids from, from London because uh, that's you know his his hometown um so he did a tweet all these kids then came down and we filtered these kids out we found the top um 12 kids in the three age categories and we put them into the the 2023 if you like um so they were paid academy kids if you like we got some funding for it um we're looking for funding for 2024 2025 by the way if i'm allowed to plug that um yeah go and, for it mate and we um and we put those kids um, into um, the the 2023 GKL um, Championship. Now we'll continue to do that. So we're doing more events. There's some really exciting announcements coming up about who we're going to be partnering with soon. But we want to keep doing this um, as a year on year. And we not only want to do it in the UK, Idris Elba Speed Academy. So Idris Elba Speed Academy, the kids will always race in GKL, um, in the GKL um, Championship. But we not only want to do it in the UK, we want to do it in, uh, in, in other territories as well. So wherever there's a GKL territory, we will be taking, you know, the less privileged kids or the kids that can't afford the price point. And each year we'll be doing activations and events to look for those kids um, and to bring them into that local GKL championships. And if they're good enough, they'll progress. They can progress all the way through the system and, and, and you know, from local championships to national championships to regional to eventual world championships, and we'll continue to support them. So it's a great initiative. Um, it's really good to have, you know, somebody like Idris on board. 
because he's you know uh, not only the star power that he brings, but he's 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 a great guy and has a massive heart as well, you know, um, and is really passionate about this. So you know, it's 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 nice that we've kind of joined up and and got this thing rolling along now. Now, I can't promise anything, but on the off chance that for some reason we've got someone with a lot of money listening, and if they want to help with the funding, how what's the best way to get in touch with you guys? Uh, now you're asking me like an admin question that nobody ever Sorry. asks me. <laughs> but I yeah. think if you go on the Global Karting League website, um, there is a... Uh, like thing there get in touch so contact form do that yeah sorry that's really vague isn't it no, <laughs> top, top salesman <laughs> don't worry about it we're, we're not media and marketing we're in a different area mate I know I know how it is I, I feel like I feel like I've for the years I've been doing this I've had so many conversations about entry level racing and this is the most hope I've ever had coming out of a conversation so yeah it's uh yeah, good luck with good. You, Rob. I'd, I'd, lo- I'd love to. I'd love to be in some way involved as well because I think it's a really admirable thing you're doing. Because this good. sport has been like, it, it's it's fundamentally it's um, you know it's rich rich old boys club when it started in the fifties and for a sport actually that doesn't um, it's so difficult to access. I think it's cultivated a very wide breadth kind of in terms of the fan base there's people from all kinds of backgrounds um you go to an f1 race and it's you know you see in every type of person under the sun which is an amazing thing and i think anything we can do to actually you know make that that same level of of diversity be that you know be that racial diversity be that gender be that socioeconomic if we can actually reflect that in the race in itself then because i think the sport's still got a, it's got a long way to go in that in that instance quite clearly but sounds like something like this could be the part of the solution maybe yeah yeah that's and, and that's all we can hope for tomo is that we're part of the solution right i don't want to kind of sit here and pontificate that that we are the solution to to everything but we're part of the solution so you know, and and I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing this expand. You know, I, it, it it will it will succeed because because we will make it succeed, definitely. Yeah, and I see. Obviously, there's a bunch of dates for some UK events uh, on the website, Tomo. So you know, maybe we could uh, get our cameras Let's out and have a little day out, mate. Let's- a hundred percent. I'm I'm a hundred percent up for it because I love I love car. It's like now now I'm an adult and I've, I earn my own money. I'm like I just want a car as much as possible because I couldn't <laughs> when I was a kid. That's literally like I just want. I'm just so happy. I went PFI um, for a stag do and I was absolutely soaked and I was so happy. It was like the happiest <laughs> I've ever been to be soaked. It was brilliant. I love it. I hate to break it to you, Tomo, but unfortunately, mate, I think you're a bit big for Bambino class now, mate. What do you mean? How dare you, Daniel? No, we'll just I, take, I'll tell you what, we can take my son, <laughs> right? So we can get the wives on board. They'll think yep. we're doing something great. It's yep. just, you know, yeah. stay out. Yeah, it's for the kids. You're welcome, it's not guys. For us. Whenever you want. <laughs> Whenever you want. We'll make that happen 100%, definitely. Let's do it. So... Before we let you go, Rob, we have possibly one of the most important segments we do on this show, and it started off as a joke. However, loads of people uh, keep contacting me and telling me this is the most important thing now, part of the show. Me and Blake, obviously, working in motorsport and F1, we've been around, we've been to a few circuits, 
we know the lay of the land. We ask everyone that's been in a similar position for their best toilet facilities and worst toilet facilities at a track. So, just to, to set the scene, I think <laughs> the worst, right, Barcelona pit lane toilets. Possibly toss up between Barcelona and Brazil. I'm trying to remember Brazil. Uh, where are the ones in Brazil? Do you know, I can't even remember. This is now like a really weird conversation, by the way, Dan. Like that, where yeah, well, <laughs> I said we were not conveniences. <laughs> we don't normal, don't do normal things here, right? Blake, when he went, when he was last at Brazil, he remembers using the facilities at Brazil, and somebody stole a urinal and just walked out with it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, that kind of, you know, that can happen. <laughs> right. So, uh, I'll, can, I'll, can I start with the best? Yeah. Yeah. So the Stop best, the I think, uh, I, I've got one, but I'm just trying to make sure that there's none which are better. So the best one, I reckon, is Abu Dhabi. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that that. All, That's quite high up on our list. We get that a lot. Yeah, in them little um, team buildings or whatever they're called. Uh, and you've got little showers in there. And, oh, they're very nice. I mean... Because I'm, I'm a, um, I consider myself to be almost professional level marathon runner. I mean, I've never run more than about Ooh, six, seven okay. k in my life. But if I was to run a marathon, I'd be pretty good. Um, so I like to run around the circuits. I was one of those goons, um, and still do now actually. Because uh, and so if you've got a nice shower facility, that's always very welcome. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, and I hope nobody from the from the the circuit de Catalunya is listening. But certainly, like Barcelona, you are very much uh, correct. Um, like you know, it's like they've obviously had the architects and civil engineers out to say, well, how can we possibly do this as bad as we as you know what's what's the worst toilet we can design? Um, so and, and they they've done a pretty good job of that. Um, where else? I'm trying to think where else. I mean, the old ones at, uh, so w when you got the old school circuit, so the ones in, so do you remember the old pit lane in, in, in Silverstone? Yeah. Uh, I can say that because it's no longer, you know, the, the Formula One pit lane. So, so, so the old ones in Silverstone were pretty special. So yeah. back in the day, what we do, we used to wait till people went in there. There used to be a gap. So it was like, it, it's in the garage. It's built out of breeze blocks. Um, and it's just like a single toilet with a toilet in, right? So we used to wait for people to go in, and then the dag men, so the composite guys, used to get like lay a trail of. There's a gap up like that, about an inch below the door. We used to lay a trail of of talcum powder or whatever you know, white powder they could get their hands on. Um, and then we used to get the air hose and squirt it underneath the door. <laughs> used to say, if you're in there, big plume of like, what? I'm sure like there'll be like some like lung specialist who will now, you know, report me yeah. and your podcast and you'll get taken off air and never allowed to. I don't worry do about it. Don't worry about that. <laughs> but we had to use those pits for uh, one of the filming days at Red Bull and we did something similar but we used the uh, the dry ice and the leaf blower oh there you go yeah, yeah I mean yeah. it was pretty cold anyway right because it was February but we thought let's just enhance 
temperature <laughs> by chucking some uh, dry ice and the uh, leaf blower through it. But, you know. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to make the poor person shit themselves, but I was like, well, that's the exact place you want to be if you're going to shit yourself. Mate, so. I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> And also, Catalunya is not well. It might not be on the calendar for much longer, so maybe maybe that's why. This is the reason why. Finally, yeah, enough negative feedback about the toilet. They're like, fine, we'll go to Madrid. Sod it. Mm. Yeah, but speaking of running around the circuits as well, you don't get an appreciation, right? I know this is. I'm not athletically built, right? People know this, but I did stop it. I did run round um, Catalunya once at winter testing. Once is the key word here. And you don't appreciate the elevation changes mm-hmm. and things like that at circuits until you run it or walk it. And then you're like, wow. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think I, uh, where, where the ones that I did run, I, I tended to pick and choose. So there was like, like Spa. Spa is just like a nightmare. I tried that once and I thought, well, this is not a very good game at all because it's just ridiculous and I'm going to end up either dead or hospitalized. Uh, the other one, which is like crazy steep, is, uh, so there's two actually. So one is Austin. Uh, so uh, Austin, that going up to turn one um, is, uh, I, I would say, an, an understatement would say it's uncomfortable. Um, it's horrible. Um, and you get to the point where you're walking. And the other one where I did actually walk um, um, and I remember this very clearly because Jensen uh, passed me. J- Jensen Button ran past me and made some um, negative comment about my running skills, um, which you know, much to my chagrin. Um, so is is um, a one? I almost called it a one ring. Um, showing my age, uh, Red Bull ring. So Red Bull ring up at turn two which is the second of the the hairpin at the top of the hill. My God, that is steep. It's so steep. Like It's it's literally like you're struggling to walk up there. And gents came past. And, right, mate, struggling. <laughs> Beautiful <laughs> views, though, while you're out of breath. Oh, Beautiful views, yeah. yeah, yeah. Unreal. Beautiful views. Yeah, I, I was there last season. I was sat at turn two, three, whatever it's called, um, when... On the sprint day, when Max squeezed Checo after Checo squeezed Max on the straight, and it was it was stunning. Is best place best place in the world to watch F one. Loved it, but yeah, very you're very steep, high, very steep. You? You're very you're very yeah very high up. I mean, I don't know what your mental state was at that point, but you know, you're very high. I'd had a few bevies, Rob. I'll be honest, <laughs> I'd had a few, uh, but I was alright. <laughs> Good stuff. Well. Rob, thank you for indulging in our um, humble little podcast. It's been a pleasure talking to you, You're mate. You're welcome. Thank you for your time. I'm, I'm sorry that we got uh, held up by our fire alarm here. Um, so, no. yeah. Like I say, mate, it's very on brand for us. We're fine. <laughs> but, yeah, no, thank you for your time, mate. And uh, hopefully... <clears throat> We shall uh, we shall get ourselves to one of these uh, global karting events and uh, yes. ourselves a little video out. We'll let I'd Tom do that. I'd love to, I'd love to hear more, more about. I, I'm the video man. No, I'd love, I'd definitely love to to hear more about that and potentially. Yeah, let's get let's get down. Let's get me, you, and Blake. Get some more some F1 people down. Get some uh, get some get some talking about it as well, right? Because I feel like this is a 
again, I, I feel very fulfilled by this conversation because I've kind of almost given up hope that motorsport is ever going to be accessible, but maybe it can be. It will be. It will be. But uh, you're right, guys. We need people like you and everybody else to be, you know, getting behind it, evangelising about it, you know. Um, we won't do it on our own, but we will do it if the community help us. So everybody's got a part to play.